I'd say the best way to get started, generally speaking, is to house hack. Mm-hmm. Live in one side, rent out the other three, ideally. Not just yeah. the other side. Rent out the other three, ideally, you buy a fourplex. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name. Episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely wound up being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. With us today for Follow Along Friday, like we usually do, Theo Hicks, how you doing? Doing good, Joe. Nice to have you on the show again, and we are excited for multiple reasons. One is, well, we're alive. That's a reason to be excited. (laughs) (laughs) Another reason is that we just released our second book, The Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever, Volume 2. And already have, I think, like 16, 17 reviews on Amazon. And in case you're wondering, how do you get those reviews so quickly? We took a page out of Tim Ferriss's book, and we provided transcripts of the book to a select number of people. And they were able to read it beforehand. That way, when we launch, we have a lot of genuine reviews. We didn't say, give us five stars. We said, give us a genuine mm-hmm. review. So they did. So if you are listening to this or watch, and by the way, best ever listeners who are listening via the podcast, we do this live via Facebook, usually every Monday around 10 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can always check us out there on our Facebook page, Meet Joe Fairless. But if you're listening, then I'll describe what I'm doing. I'm holding up the Volume 2 book, and what I'd like to do is make an offer to everyone watching the video as well as listening to this podcast to get a bonus guide 
which Theo will explain in a second what that is, but you'll get the bonus guide or when you buy the book and email your receipt to info at joefairless.com. That's I-N-F-O at joefairless.com when you buy the book and then email the receipt to info at joefairless.com. And what is that bonus guide? So the book is the best ever advice from the second 100 episode, so 101 to 199. In the book, we basically go over the background of the guest and then whatever advice they provided during the podcast. As the best ever listeners know, we have the infamous lightning round. Where we infamous. Ask, yes. Infamous. Famous for famous. bad reasons. Oh, sorry. Famous. 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 famous <laughs> best ever lightning round. I didn't realize that's what infamous meant, so I appreciate that. I didn't know that. I'm probably using it incorrectly for my entire life. I must do it with a lot of words. But anyways, the best ever book, best ever way to get back, and the best ever deal. And so with the... Bonus guide is is the best ever deals mm-hmm. from the second 100 episodes, and it ends with Grant Cardone's best ever deal, where he actually provides two just really really interesting deals. He's a very animated person, so it's done in their language too. So you'll, you'll if you if you're a follower of Grant Cardone, you'll be able to see in the writing him saying it out loud. But yeah, so it's, it, in reality, it's nine deals, but it's it's the eight top guests from the second 100 episodes. And the, the best ever deals they provided during the, the lightning round. Outstanding. And just like the first volume, all the profits from this book are being donated to Junior Achievement Cincinnati. So you're helping kids in underserved communities learn financial literacy and entrepreneurial skills when you educate yourself with Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Volume 2 book. All right, sweet. So today, what do we want to talk about? So we're, so we're talking about the deal that you just recently closed on mm-hmm. and how you are preparing the equity raise. Yes. So obviously you've gotten the deal closed, and so that by default means that you have not raised the money before the deal, which I know you've talked about that before. You're going to go into the process of now that you've got the deal closed, how you go about well, raising the money. I know. I want to be careful of the terms we use when you say we got the deal closed. Okay. So we were awarded the deal through a process. And we got into best and final round, and they said yes. Jumped on a conference call and talked through stuff, and now we were awarded the deal. But we do not yet have it under contract. Okay. So it's a kind of a chicken before the egg type of situation because while we don't have it under contract, we also want to get a head start because we know we've been awarded it. So what I'm doing is I'm lining up the equity just knowing strategically, okay, we need about seven to eight million dollars, depending on the financing we ultimately go with. Seven to eight million dollars. Where are those equity sources coming from? So the approach that I recommend taking is one, making sure that you have the equity before you get awarded a deal like this, which we do. It's just a matter of which specific sources are coming from. So make sure you have it prior. But two is first you want to list out the different types of sources that it would come from. And then second, you want to create a document that is just a one sheet that outlines the high-level overview of it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why you do the one sheet prior to giving a investor package is because the time right now where the debt financing is not determined yet, we don't have it under contract yet, but we're working on the purchase and sale agreement right now, and we should have it in the next couple of days, 
is because we're able to tease out the opportunity to the people who I already know and who I have a relationship with. And so I'm able to do that. Now, the risk is that since we don't have it technically under contract, by sharing it with a couple people, maybe it comes back to the seller and the seller's like, well, maybe I don't want to go with it. I don't know. There's really not... I can't think of a, a real-world scenario where things would go sour, or a realistic, I should say, scenario where things would go sour, but still, I'm, I want to be careful not to send out the complete package and go full steam ahead until I have a deal under contract. I guess one thing that could happen is, for whatever reason, I send it out to my investors and the purchase sale agreement doesn't go through yeah and then i've sent out an opportunity and now there's no opportunity but it's such a small chance of happening so let's talk about the approach one is to have the equity lined up beforehand or at least know you have the capability of bringing the equity two is to identify the specific investors who would bring that equity at least conceptually they don't have to be the exact people because Things change whenever you start speaking to investors. Some invest more, some invest less. Some don't invest, some do invest. That's just how things go. Three is to have a one sheet so that you can share with them the high-level opportunity while you're still finalizing in the underwriting and, in our case, the debt financing. And then four, you create a marketing package that is more robust. And that has everything from the projected returns to the market info to the team and everything in between. That's the four-step process. But one thing I'd say as a supporting point is we also have a videographer who has a drone Mm -hmm. and he is going to the property in two days, assuming we have good weather and going to do the drone thing over the top of the property in the rooms the amenities close by retail and and we're going to put together an investor video like we've done on previous deals mm-hmm. which really helps bring the yeah. project to life so do those the four-step process and then if you have something like a videographer or not if you have something find a videographer to do some drone footage and get some shots of the actual property it costs about thousand two thousand dollars up to five thousand depending on how robust you want the video certainly worth it so step three was a one-page document right and step four was more more detailed because after step three when you're sending it out to your investors or are you waiting until step four investors i feel comfortable sending out the one sheet to investors if i get around to it before the contract is in place the contract should be in place by tomorrow end of day, and I got a lot going on today and mm-hmm. between today and tomorrow. So if I am able to, then I'll send out the one sheet. If not, then I will send it out once we have it under contract. And then it's really just a way to share the opportunity while we're working on the robust marketing package, which takes about a week, week and a half to do. So while we're doing that, we don't want to sit on our hands. Mm-hmm. So we send out a one sheet just to share the high-level opportunity and get the initial interest. Okay, and then you send that to the people on the list you created in the earlier steps of the 
it's a type of investor. Is that like saying like this group of people I know them from here, or are you saying like a specific name on this list? Both. I specific names on the list based on what they've shared with me. Their goals are the goals. Okay. And now that I know what their goals are, I know if this opportunity will match up to their goals. So what I do is I have my money raising tracker spreadsheet, and happy to give everyone listening or watching the template for that. Just ask for the money raising tracker by emailing info at joefairless.com if you haven't got it already. Info, info at joefairless.com. And it's the spreadsheet template that I use for my investors that we created from scratch. And I just simply identify in the investors who I think would be most likely interested in this based on their goals and then send it out to them. Is there a number on there too? Like I expect to be able to raise this money from this person? And there is it just their name? It's the low range and high range okay. amount based on our conversations or historical investments. Okay. And that allows me to identify how many investors we will likely need for the deal based on the low range and high range of the people I'm reaching out to. Okay, so when you send out, when you send the one pager out to these list of investors, say for this example, you're saying it might be between eight and nine million dollars, and then you know, let's say on your sales spreadsheet on the, on the low end, it's $9 million and the high end is $12 million for the total. And you send out all of them. What happens if you get more than what you actually need? What happens in that situation? Well, it happens every time. The one time it hasn't happened was my first deal when I was, when I was getting started. But the other time it hasn't happened is when we took a little bit longer after we closed to close it out just because a couple life circumstances happened with okay. some investors. But now to answer your question, and by the way, in case you're curious how we're able to close without completing the money raise, well, you have a certain amount, let's say it's $5, just for simplicity. You have a certain amount you need to close, which is $5, but you need $10 for the whole project. That would cover the improvement costs, fees, that sort of thing. So you can close, you have a dollar amount you can close with, but then also a dollar amount that you need for the actual project. So mm -hmm. push comes to shove, if you have to, you could close without the total raise done. But now to answer your question, if I see conservatively there's $9 million of investors that I'm sending it to, but I need seven, then what I would do is if they all commit, then I would just do it first come first serve, okay. which is the fairest way to do it. What I tell them is first come first serve based on a signed subscription agreement, which is the legal document, PPM subscription agreement, operating agreement, and investor qualifier form, those four things. And then anyone who is after that, then we simply put them next in. If okay. a life circumstance happens, a death in the family, someone has to move, losing their job, need liquidity, can't do a hold for five years, that sort of thing, which our projects are typically a five-year plan. Awesome. Yeah. I figured that was the case, and that's, that's good to hear your first deal. It didn't happen. Then as time went on, you got good more and more investors, and they got better. You actually had the the problem, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. of having more people investing than you actually needed, so that's pretty cool. Is there anything else in regards to the money renting process that we didn't talk about? Not in the context of this particular conversation, no. Okay. So the, another thing we wanted to talk about today was a question we got from a listener, and I'm just going to read the question okay. verbatim, and then maybe we can talk about it. It's a very generic question, but I'll read it and we'll go from there. Hi, Joe. 
My name is Alexandria. I'm 28 years old. My husband just turned 30, and we have two kids. We are very interested in getting out of the 9 to 5 rat race and starting a journey towards financial freedom. We owe about $203,000 on our home, and our neighbor just sold for $265,000. We are thinking about selling the home and using the funds to purchase our first multi-unit property, and maybe even live in one of the units while we continue to work, save, and repeat this process. Our goal is to be able to cover our living expenses from rental income, which currently is about $4,000 per month. Any thoughts or advice would be awesome. We also have about $30,000 in savings, which we are also willing to use to start this process. So $30,000 in savings right now, mm-hmm. and the potential of getting another $60,000, let's say forty five, yeah. after selling your property for a total of seventy five grand potentially to start their investment journey. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is clear and proven over and over that the best way to get started there's always exceptions but i'd say the best way to get started generally speaking is to house hack Mm -hmm. live in one side rent out the other three ideally not just the other side rent out the other three ideally buy a fourplex before alex you sell your primary residence i would look at what you could command for rent for that property and see if that could cover your mortgage because I'm a big fan of holding on to real estate for a very long time and not selling unless you're 1031 exchanging up until the next deal. I've just seen it time and time again on the podcast. I mean, there's certainly times when it makes sense to sell if you need to exit for a life event and you need to cash quickly or some other reason. But if you have $40,000, $45,000 in equity, in the house, you have a couple options before you actually sell. One is I would see if you can cover your expenses and make just a little bit on the rent because you do have that savings. Mm-hmm. So that's one option. The other is home equity line of credit. Maybe you get that at a lower interest rate and you can use that for more money in the house hacking scenario. So I would look at those two things first before you actually sell. Because even though your neighbor sold his house for two hundred and sixty, mm-hmm. you owe what two hundred five, right? Yeah. So that's fifty five thousand plus closing costs. I mean, looking at forty thousand. That's if you sell. I don't know if their house is apples to apples comparison either to their neighbors. So look at those two things first. In my opinion, that's what I would do. And ultimately, I love the mindset of house hacking, like which is what Alex is going towards, and I would try to buy not only a duplex, but a fourplex, if your significant other is cool with that, because that's a whole nother topic, if that's the case. <laughs> and if so, then then you have, let's say your house, your primary residence is not sold, let's say you can break even or make a little bit of money on the property every month, and that includes factoring in maintenance items that have yet to occur so tucking away some money not just covering your mortgage because other expenses will come up like a roof or an hvac system things like that so you got to tuck away money let's say you can make a little bit of money for that without selling then i personally would take that thirty thousand spend maybe ten fifteen thousand and try and get a property either creatively 
via a motivated seller or owner financing mm-hmm. with someone and then approach it that way and get as many units as possible, up to four, that you can with your deal. Yeah, that's really good advice. If they went, that first option I thought was amazing. If they just, they shouldn't sell their properties or rent it out if it's possible and it makes sense. Unless they're going to do the creative financing on the second property they're going to buy, they'd have to refinance it and do a regular loan. Mm-hmm. Because again, do FHA loans. Because, yeah, I mean, $30,000. Does he say does he say he has an FHA loan? It does not. Okay. I was just assuming that they did. So if they have an FHA loan, then they'd have to right. buy it. If they don't, then it'd be fine. Yeah, because you can only have one. But I house hacked. I bought the property for, I think it was 170 mm-hmm. And it was only like five grand down after closing costs and everything. So $30,000. Is plenty of money for in a, in a house act. Mm-hmm. Even if you go up to three hundred grand at three point five percent down, that's still only ninety five hundred bucks. Yeah, I like the house acting idea. Yeah, keeping the primary residence as long as it makes sense and the rent's high enough. Because I'm sure that they owe two hundred three. Their mortgage is probably kind of high, depending on what, what they did. I, I, I don't know, but good point. Thank you for calling that out. Yep makes sense so good luck with that and wish you the best and thanks for submitting your question if anyone has questions like that then feel free to email info at joefairless.com and if we're able to get to the question on a show we'll, we will and we'd be happy to help out as much as we can Absolutely. so the last thing we wanted to talk about I was going through bigger pockets I go through bigger pockets to just to learn about real estate and to potentially find some interesting topics to talk about in the podcast. And I saw someone was posting something. He said, I'm going to rant. <laughs> and then he was posting about how, you know, he gets coffee with newer investors. Uh-huh. Um, I believe he was a single family investor, like a wholesaler. Okay. I'm pretty sure he was a wholesaler. Okay. And he was explaining how, again, he meets with investors and he's like, he's got no problem, you know, giving them advice on the wholesaling process and how to find deals and how to sell deals, how to make a budget buyers list in the source. But the one thing he had a problem with when people asked him, what markets do you invest in or kind of going into the specifics of his business, specifically in regard to finding deals in his market. So if the guy's out of state, he'd be like, oh yeah, this is how you find deals. But if you're in my neighborhood, you're direct competition and I'm not going to tell you that. And then he said, you know, they his brand over. And then people were commenting and I read some of the comments and I'm just curious. I know that you're kind of your main, mm-hmm. I mean, right, he says right there, the, the secret of life is, is giving. So I'm just curious to see what you would think about that. And if, you know, obviously in the short term, that would make sense because if me and you are competing for a deal and I say, hey, there's this deal available or, hey, I'm, I'm marketing in this neighborhood and you find that deal, then you're going to take that deal and I'll lose money in the short term. I wonder if, in this from my perspective, in the long term, that attitude would be beneficial to mm-hmm. your business. When I hear something like that, I would think about it differently. And I do. I practice this every freaking day because, believe me, I get a lot of people reaching out to me asking about my business and stuff. If I were him, I would ask, how can I use this? And if I were to ask that question, how can I use this, then the answer, and I'm going to brainstorm here because I'm not a wholesaler, Mm -hmm. and you just told me about this question three (laughs) seconds before we started airing this. The way I would approach it if I were him is... There will be a way for me to bring on team members to help me get more deals. And they can grow by getting my help with the system I have set up. And this gentleman can grow because he's getting more people helping him find more deals. Because ultimately what he's upset about is he is thinking he's giving, giving, giving. 
but yet they're wanting to take more than what he's willing to give. Mm-hmm. The value exchange more, is yeah. skewed in his mind. And therefore, and maybe rightfully so, therefore, if it continually happens, he can't stop people from asking, but he can come up with a solution that helps the value exchange balance out. And ultimately, we come across this, not only this example, but many times in life where people are asking and asking and asking from us. And I get it more frequently now. Every day I do a new podcast, the audience grows and I get more and more outreach. And some people just ask for things and they don't offer to give anything. And it's my fault if I don't strategically balance it out with how I approach the response. Because I can only control how I respond to what people say. I can't control what people say. So now to directly answer your question and the rant, if I were him, I would change my thought process and think, how can I use this? And then I would identify ways. When they ask me, where do you market? What are your zip codes? What's your exact process? I would say something like, Hey, I really enjoyed hanging out with you and talking through like the introductory stuff. The deals that I get there, I've got a specific thing that I'm sure you can understand. There's a process that I use that if I shared it with everyone, I probably wouldn't get as many deals. Therefore, I wouldn't be able to talk to people like you because I would be scrambling to put food on my plate. But what I can do is blah, 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 blah. And that blah, 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 blah should be some sort of partnership opportunity where that beginning person who's wanting to get started can partner with him. And whether they go find deals, they knock on doors, they put up bandit signs, they reach out to owners, whatever it is. And that's understandable from the person who's asking. They'd be like, okay, yeah, I get that. This logically, I understand why he wouldn't be able to share with me that information. And then it's a win-win. Now, I will also say, taking three steps back, if you are in an industry where someone can't ask you a question and you answer it because you're concerned that they're going to take business from you, you haven't established yourself enough within that industry. Now, I wouldn't give proprietary documents out to people who ask me, hey, Joe, can I see the financial model that you use to underwrite deals? No, you can't have that. That's something that we created from scratch. But if they ask me about stuff, about deals, I'm not concerned about losing deals or opportunities to people because, I one, I live in a world of abundance, but two... We've established ourselves enough. We're likely not going to be butting up against each other. Plus, there's a relatively high barrier to entry for the type of deals we're buying versus a beginner who's looking at $300,000 homes or a million-dollar apartments. We're buying 15, 30, $40 million apartment buildings. And the reason, just in case anyone's curious, the reason why I wouldn't give proprietary documents out is because... We've created them from scratch, and I have a client program, I have private consulting clients, and they pay for my time, and ultimately, when you get to a certain point, you've got to be really protective of your time, and you also have to know the value that others are paying you to get access to your stuff, so you can't be giving that away as well. So there's a lot of things to consider, 
I mean, the short answer, just to summarize, is think, how can I use this? And come up with a solution for how you respond to help your business. Because clearly this guy's having a rant. Therefore, it's happened multiple times. Therefore, that's on him. That's his fault for getting annoyed. Because he's not the one who has come up with a solution to balance out the value exchange. So he needs to look in the mirror and he needs to determine how can he create an exchange that makes sense for him because he knows it's going to happen again. He's either going to get pissed off and rant again when it happens or he's going to have a solution for how others can help him grow his business while helping them out. But yeah, that question, how can I use this is key. You kind of alluded to it, how can we kind of use for everything, but in this specific example, how can I use this in the sense of how can I partner with this person? How can I maybe make my own client program? If I had a bunch of people come to me constantly asking for my proprietary information or my sales process, why don't I just monetize it in some form or fashion? Something I said too is about how I thought the same thing, how it came from that fear of potentially losing a deal to mm-hmm. someone else and kind of that, that fear of the competition. And as you said, how can you use that fear and kind of interpret it differently and not think of, oh, you know, it's like, what are these people doing? Like, what's going on with me? And kind of looking in the mirror. Um, interesting for that is that it could be something if you're and this is kind of just spitballing here but if you have that, that fear of the competition and someone you know taking that deal from you that could be a sign telling you that you aren't as you said as established as you need to be because if you are i guess it's like one work if you're at the top tier levels but if you're afraid of losing these smaller deals to brand new investors that means that you're not established enough yet to be at the higher tier of you know, mm-hmm. working on you know, multi-million dollar apartment deals that someone that's brand new who you're going to be meeting with isn't necessarily asking you, you know, how can I buy a $20 million apartment complex? I mean, they might be, but I don't know how often that would happen. So that fear could be a sign of I need to double down and, and establish myself and start thinking bigger and expanding and doing bigger deals so that I can help people that are like me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of the book that I haven't read because I don't think I need to read to get the concept, and that's Blue Ocean Strategy. Where you know, basically you want to swim in the blue ocean, not the red ocean where there's blood in the water because there's a feeding frenzy and a lot of people mm-hmm. are around. But blue ocean strategy is where you're, you got the ocean all to yourself. There's not a lot of competition. Red ocean, the opposite. And same with wholesaling. I, mean, I assume this guy's a wholesaler. If so, then I mean, you're in a business that someone who listens to one podcast episode can go start the business and compete with you. You've chosen to be in that business. Yeah, and the exactly. barrier to entry is basically like just being able to breathe and having a phone. You don't even need the internet. And I'm not saying to be successful, that's what you only need. I'm just saying to get started in wholesaling, that's what you need. Yeah. So they're choosing a profession that is low barrier to entry. So if you want to be more secure in the thought process than one, come up with that solution I mentioned earlier, but then two, maybe evolve the business too. Mm -hmm. Really, this is the larger thing is when you get upset about stuff, make sure that it's not because of insecurity or lack of strategic thinking on your part. Because ultimately, we can't control what other people say or think. Definitely not think, maybe say. There might be some like Tony Robbins voodoo that you could do to make people say stuff, but you can't do that. So usually we need to just look in the mirror and do a self-assessment of our own yeah. stuff. Yeah, psychologically speaking, I'm a big proponent of projecting. And I tell myself, if there's something going on like in the external world that's like annoying me, 
I essentially try to figure out what part of me is getting upset about that. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing to do with out there, unless it's like a tiger. Like, then I should obviously be seriously afraid. But if I'm fearful or getting upset about something that someone said to me, mm-hmm. the analogy I always use, and this is take it with a grain of salt, but if someone were to tell me that I was like fat, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I think I'm pretty fit. But if someone told me I was fat and like I actually thought that, I would be very, very upset that they did that and be offended and triggered and that would be a sign that, hey, maybe there's something I need to do to work on myself. Like if someone were to call me, you know, stupid or, or dumb, fill in the blank there. And so I kind of, I try to think of that in the sense of, of everything. If someone does something to me or something happens to me, I react to emotionally, generally speaking, not every single time, obviously. But I think of it as me projecting something like on my inner lens of like an insecurity that I have. And I try to figure out, what do I need to do to fix that? Because if I don't fix something going on like in my head, mm-hmm. It's just going to keep happening over and over and over again until I make some sort of change. So The book Crucial Conversations talks about telling yourself a story, and that story might be incorrect or correct. Mm. And I recommend that to everyone I talk to. I've read that book multiple times. Crucial Conversations, buy that book if you haven't bought it and read it. And last thing I'll say, and then we can wrap up, mm-hmm. is nothing in life has meaning until we decide to give it meaning. Everything that we've talked about on this episode, everything that I hear in my life, it does not have meaning until I internalize it and I, as you said, project it back out. Clearly that's true because everyone listening to this podcast will internalize it differently. Mm -hmm. Some people might think, holy cow, these are some insightful dudes. Some people are thinking, I just wasted the last 30 <laughs> minutes of my life. Yeah. yeah, screw you, Joe and Theo. Others might think something in between. Yeah. <laughs> Those are pretty <laughs> extremes. I think, it's but, mo- I think it's most the first one, though. Yeah, but the, the point is that nothing in life has meaning until we decide to give it meaning. And that's something we've got to really pay attention to and, and be guardians of our mind and determine how we decide what meaning to give certain things. All right, best ever listeners, enjoyed our conversation. As always, Theo, good hanging out with you, as always. Yeah, I love it. These conversations are they're, they're fun. I yeah. a lot. Where can the best ever listeners listen to your podcast? And really quickly, what's your podcast about? So theohicks.org. And actually, the last you know, five, ten minutes of the conversation, what the podcast is all about, is it's kind of taking a philosophical or psychological look at current events and just... I guess success and business and just life in general, how to, you know, I guess I was mentioning that, that inner lens, how to tweak that and clean that up so that you're not projecting a bunch of nonsense to worlds so that you're able to live a more fulfilling life. So that's the goal of the podcast, try to figure that out for myself and at the same time help others do the same. Awesome. Well, best ever listeners, talk to you soon and thanks for watching and listen. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. Adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Previous best ever guest Paul Moore has a book and it's called The Perfect Investment Create Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift to Multifamily Housing. If you're ready to profit from this unprecedented shift, then go get the book. It's on Amazon or Paul's website, wellingscapital.com.